1: He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington DC, Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain.
0: Welcome to the show. Did you know that pain has reached epidemic proportions? I mean, it really has. The Institute of Medicine estimated in 2011 that 100 million people are living with chronic pain. I mean, that's a third of the population. Pain impacts our quality of life, diminishes financial well-being, and certainly affects us emotionally. Did you know the risk of suicide nearly doubles for those with chronic pain? Sadly, it's understandable. I mean, I have patients who tell me that pain has robbed them of their lives because they can't do those things that make life worth living. Even kids are suffering. Imagine having a sick baby in the ICU exposed to a 100 painful procedures and getting little to no treatments to soothe them. This is happening. This is real. In fact, 20% of children experience chronic pain, and millions don't get the relief they need. If you look across the globe, the story is the same. In places like Canada, Uganda, and India, millions suffer in pain at the end of life. Imagine yourself or someone you love dying in pain because they don't have access to morphine, which costs less than a half a loaf of bread in India. Did you know that the World Health Organization estimates that pain threatens to condemn one out of every ten of us alive today to die a painful death? This shouldn't happen. I think you can understand why this has become a pressing humanitarian cause that demands focused attention by the press and policymakers. Today, our guest on aches and gains will help us navigate through the maze and understand its implications. Judy Foreman, author of A Nation in Pain, is a nationally syndicated health columnist who’s won more than 50 journalism awards. She’s researched the chronic pain crisis that both doctors and patients face. We'll investigate what we know and don't know about chronic pain and explore some solutions. We'll also find out how Judy overcame her own battle with bad neck pain to regain her life.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, Atlantis Health Group, The Pain Community, and Depomed Incorporated. For live online listening to aches and games, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristo.md.com.
0: Through 40 years of journalism, Judy Foreman's career is outstanding. She's covered all sorts of medical and science subjects from cancer and heart disease to fitness and nutrition. Her nationally syndicated columns have been carried by the LA Times and the Dallas Morning News, among many others. Let's meet her now. Judy, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you very much. You were one of those 100 million people living with pretty serious chronic pain. Uh, Tell us about the differences you encountered in the medical world when you switched from being a a top medical journalist to a patient in need of treatment.
2: When you're a journalist and you get through to Nobel Prize winners on the first phone call, you know, you, you really have a lot of power. Right. When you're a chronic pain patient and you're bouncing from doc to doc to try to get answers and help, you have no power. I had one lovely young woman doctor who just seemed to get more and more angry with me, the more I didn't get better mm. with her treatment or not so much treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally went up with a wonderful male doctor um, at New England Baptist Hospital here in Boston who got it, who believed me, and uh, took pity on me and actually did some things that helped, including some steroid injections. Right. So, it, but, it, but it took me, you know, I bounced around, and I was never sure until I got to that final doctor that people really believed me. And that's what happens to basically, I would say, almost all chronic pain patients in the country.
0: Very true. I mean, I've seen a lot of patients who've told me they've bounced back and forth uh, between various different doctors before they've had a chance to see me. And I also agree with you. A lot of patients that I see tell me that they're never believed. Uh, Judy, tell us more about the type of pain you had.
2: I had severe, really unbearable neck pain. That turned out to be caused by spondylolisthesis, and I'm sure you know what that is. But in case uh, listeners don't, uh, one or more vertebrae slide forward over the ones beneath it, so it kind of gets the structural part of your neck or back messed up. I also had bone spurs, um, and the net result was that I had sharp, not sharp, but burning, fiery pain from sort of the middle of my neck right down to the tip of my shoulder, like around C4 or so. um, it felt like my nerve was on fire, yeah. and then it stopped right at the tip of my shoulder. And But that chronic uh, constant nerve stimulation also triggered muscle spasms in my trapezius muscle, which made it spasm so long and so hard that it tipped my head over far to the left, which is called cervical dystonia, and I had to use both my hands to prop prop my neck back up in the right position. So it's kind of two different kinds of pain.
0: Yeah, you know, that sounds pretty awful. A spondylolisthesis then, as you mentioned, can cause a narrowing around the spinal cord. It can also cause a narrowing around the spinal nerves that emanate from the spinal cord. And both of those conditions can cause pain and pretty horrific pain, uh, like what you described. And then what happens too is because the nerves are irritated, that nerve irritation can then cause muscle spasms, which you also experienced. How long did it take before you actually found help? Oh,
2: I would say it was about eight months uh, for many pain patients that I've talked to that, that's that's practically, you know, that I don't even deserve their sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gradually started getting better with, uh, I went to this thing called boot camp, which is intensive physical therapy and exercise and um i think i think that's what got me better
0: that's great there are really a drastic shortage of pain specialists in this country which is probably why you you had to wait 8 months and further there are reports that indicate that only about 5% of chronic pain sufferers are able to be treated by pain specialists Now, Judy, you mentioned that you had epidural steroid injections in the neck. How effective were those?
2: As you know very well, there's a huge placebo effect in all these treatments, including opioids. Um, And in my book, as as I know you've read, um, you know, the evidence on steroids is is not very good, um, but I, I think they helped me. But, you know, as a science writer, I can't say, oh, boy, everybody should do this.
0: That's right. I mean, the evidence on steroids actually is good with certain conditions. For example, acute lumbosacral radicular pain. That means acute pain that travels from your back and shoots down your legs. But for other conditions, the evidence is not as strong. You mentioned that intense physical therapy as well as uh, epidural steroid injections were quite beneficial for you. Anything else?
2: I I also had Botox injections in my trapezius muscle, and that may have helped as well. But Uh I think the thing that really helped was the exercise. Chronic pain, which is what I did have, is pain lasting more than three to six months. But the more accurate definition is a transformation of the nervous system. So it's not just acute pain that doesn't go away. It's a change in the nervous system so that the nerve cells get more and more more efficient at sending the pain signals to the brain, researchers now think that chronic pain is or can become its own disease. And what exercise may do is reverse this revving up of the nervous system, or at least that's one of the theories that seems to make sense to me. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the definition of chronic pain because it really is a change not only in the spinal cord but the brain. So it's a systemic problem.
2: Exactly. And
0: it is certainly now believed to be a disease in and of itself, not just a symptom of another disease process. We have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Judy about her book, A Nation in Pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company, committed to increasing access to high-quality healthcare by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Laboratories, a leader in the science of toxicology and pharmacogenetics, is transforming the way healthcare professionals monitor and manage their patients' medication therapy. Through the use of advanced technology supported by research and education, Millennium helps practitioners personalize care for patients. For more information, please visit www.millenniumlabs.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare. Connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. We're here
0: with Judy Foreman, who's written a book called A Nation in Pain, America's Biggest Health Problem. Judy, let's talk more about your book. What motivated you to write it?
2: Well, first of all, my own pain. And I wrote about that at the time I was writing a, a column for the Boston Globe, which is had become nationally syndicated. Um, and when I wrote about my bumping into all these obstacles in the medical system and the The not being believed and the severity of the pain, I got such a big response to that column that I thought, oh, I think there's a book in here. The other thing is I was just intrigued intellectually because I have been a science writer all my life. And I would lie there in bed at midnight in this intense pain, you know, with these trapezius muscles just spasming and thinking, you know, How long can a muscle spasm for? Doesn't it run out of oxygen? Doesn't it run out of sugar? (laughs) And also thinking, you know, this pain is completely maladaptive. It is not teaching me to avoid certain things or be more careful in some aspect of my life. Why would evolution ever have allowed this to happen? Um, So I was curious intellectually as well as very curious uh, from a personal point of view.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I really enjoy your book because it uh, talks about the science of pain all the way to the emotional elements of having chronic pain. And you make a powerful ethical statement in your book. You say that that failing to manage pain is tantamount to torture. Yes. Many might say, well, come on, Judy. I mean, isn't that overstating it a bit?
2: Failure to manage, we're not saying failure to cure. I mean, you know, no one is offering, you know, slam dunk cures for this. It's, it's too complex a disease to really offer that kind of hope. Um, but it can be managed. And failure to to take it seriously, to believe the patients who are in pain, and to do your best to try to manage it, I think that is uh, tantamount to torture, and there are a number of medical ethicists and pain specialists who uh, have come to that conclusion themselves, because there are ways that pain can be managed, and um, but they may not be able to be managed in a seven-minute doctor's appointment where the doctor doesn't believe you in the first place.
0: That's right, and it's become even more difficult to spend needed time with patients given healthcare changes.
2: That's right. I think that's one of the reasons that alternative remedies like acupuncture and chiropractic and Massage are so popular among patients in general and pain patients in particular because, if nothing else, you get somebody believing you for an hour.
0: Right. And That's that,
2: right. that helps.
0: That It does help. I've noticed, too, that what's often missed in the discussion is that pain erodes the foundation of who we are. I see it in patients of mine, it affects their concentration emotional stability, sleep, and interpersonal relationships.
2: That's right. It basically messes up your whole personality. It's, when, it's, when it's mild, you know, you can live through it and, and you know, be stoical and just kind of chug along. Mm-hmm. I mean, the brain scans show the, the limbic system, which is where we process emotions, lighting up in pain. Yeah. And, you know, there's no way to pretend it's not I mean, You can, you can puff it out, but uh, you are aware subjectively that you're having a very strong emotional reaction to the pain and, and that really can't be helped
0: that's right you mentioned brain scans and specifically functional MRI imaging which is allows the non-invasive uh, neuroimaging of the of brain activity has shown that um, chronic pain can lead to neurodegeneration of the what's called the prefrontal cortex that's right and and, and that can lead to cognitive decline and, and we think mood disorders and even more than that there have been observed gray matter loss in the brain in patients who have low back pain.
2: That's right. It's in the gray matter, which is the cell bodies of our nerves, our our neurons. And that was discovered literally about 10 years ago by researchers at Northwestern University. And they they first showed it with chronic back pain, but then they and others went on to show it's true for irritable bowel and fibromyalgia and a whole bunch of different conditions. And the the brain volume loss is equivalent to uh, 20 years of aging. So in a very literal sense, chronic Pain can age the brain.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that statistic up because it's powerful and it's extremely frightening to think that we're losing brain matter from pain. Pain also degrades how we function at work. And I hear this from patients time and time again. I mean, it disrupts social relationships, working relationships, concentration, and so on.
2: It does. If you can't concentrate, you can't do your job, whether your job is being a mother or a journalist or a doctor. Right. Um, It it really, you know, if half your brain is occupied processing the pain, it doesn't leave you your whole worrying brain to (laughs) do the rest of your life. Very
0: true. You know, pain touches all of us at some point in our lives. I mean, it might hit us when we're kids, adults, or when we're older adults, or even at the end of life. And for a third of us, the pain doesn't go away. In fact, globally, the World Health Organization estimates that pain threatens to condemn one out of every 10 people alive today to die a painful death. I mean, it's really become an epidemic, and yet a silent one. Why?
2: Oh, I, I well just to respond to the the fact that people are still dying in pain. I mean, there's really no excuse for that. I recently gave a grand rounds at Sloan Kettering, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, mm-hmm. and the wonderful doctors there who are literally treating people dying in pain they they were saying some of their patients don't want to take the opioids, what we used to call narcotics, because of the stigma of the drugs, even though these were people dying in pain.
0: And you know what? It's even worse in other countries, because that stigma has limited the supply of morphine or restricted it by certain governments of the world. And I hope listeners will go to paulcristomd.com, which is my website, and listen to the two-part show that we did that was very moving on Will We Die in Pain? And let's talk more about the stigma, Judy.
2: I think there's a huge stigma to pain. We we tend to view it as weakness. And I want to make this point, too. I would have thought so, too, until it happened to me. Right. Pain is so subjective that I sort of thought people who complained and whined and were wusses about their pain were just, you know, they were depressed or they were just weaker than I was or something. And boy, when it happens to you um, in in a major way, then you become a believer. But the problem is, until it happens to you, you don't believe it. And that's true for doctors as well as lay people.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate. It's not until it happens to you or someone you love that it then makes a difference in your life. And we know that undiagnosed, untreated, or undertreated pain continues to be a significant public health problem. And yet the National Institutes of Health, which is the primary body for funding research in this country, uh, has continued to provide very, very low funding for pain. And, and for example, funding for pain research has really declined since 2005. And uh, to the extent that the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, have allocated very, very minimal funding. I mean, I think it's something like 1% to primary pain research, and yet for other conditions like cancer, we have more research dollars because that condition is more widely acknowledged as important.
2: No, oh, I, I totally agree, but I think we—that's what gives me hope. But it takes a, a whole lot of courageous patients, frankly, mm-hmm. yeah. willing to say, you know, say I, I have this. It's a real disease. And, you know, pay some attention to me, give me some respect, give me some reason, not me, but give, give the problem some research money. That's
0: right. I think we need more and more patients who have pain to stand up and say, this is important, this needs to be treated. We talked about the human crisis associated with pain. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk to Judy about the economic crisis. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains.
1: Aches and Gains is supported by the Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. DepoMed Incorporated, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing products to treat pain and other central nervous system conditions. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on health care and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook.
0: Welcome back. Pain has led to an economic crisis as well as a human crisis. 635 billion Billion dollars annually are lost in productivity and treatment costs. I mean, pain causes 50 million lost workdays per year. And I believe much of this results from a complete lack of awareness on the part of corporations and businesses. What did you find in doing research for your book, Judy?
2: Well, first of all, those numbers that you just cited, you didn't make them up, and neither did I. Uh, They come from the very prestigious Institute of Medicine, which is part of the National Academy of Sciences. And the study that came up with these numbers was actually asked for by Congress. Yeah. Congress has done nothing with the results of this study, which is terrible because uh, they asked for it. But um, it really is a huge problem. And, you know, some problems can be partially solved by throwing money at them, research money. And I think this is one of them because chronic pain in general gets only 1.1% of the massive National Institutes of Health budget. Yeah. And that, that, you know, given that it's a bigger problem than cancer and heart disease and diabetes all put together, that's ridiculous.
0: It is. It's, it's really atrocious, I think. And, and, you know, and we're also faced with quite a bit of variability in pain education across uh, medical schools and nursing schools, as well as variability in knowledge and decision making.
2: And it, it shouldn't be because this is the main thing that drives people to doctors. Right. And the combination of doctors not learning about pain much in medical school, on average they get nine hours over four years, Mm -hmm. and the government not spending much research money on means that pain patients are really up a creek.
0: They are, and it means that they're going to continue to suffer. And I'm not convinced that the new health care law, or Obamacare, will address the critical need for pain care. Are you?
2: No, although I have to say I haven't studied Obamacare. I've been so busy studying pain. I haven't (laughs) studied all the complexities of Obamacare. Um... But I have to say I don't have really high hopes.
0: Yeah. You know, a fundamental point in your book is that doctors actually know very little about pain care. And right. we touched on this earlier. As a physician educator myself, I found it pretty tough to get doctors interested. <laughs>
2: pretty tough to impossible. Yeah. Um, there, there's an anecdote in, in my book about at the University of Washington where they actually do do a good job teaching about pain, um, you know, you, about students just running away from anything to do with pain because they don't know what to do about it, and they're frightened by it. And patients, especially women, I must say, tend to prevent present their pain problems in an emotional way, and doctors don't like that either. That's right. Um, so they feel totally not up to the task, and don't even want to go there. That changes when doctors themselves get really bad chronic pain. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's not the best educational tool.
0: Not at all. How do you think then that we can better educate physicians and the public on the problem?
2: Well, the public is going to be a lot easier than the physicians, frankly. I I think the public gets educated by by patients, Mm -hmm. by patients being willing to go forward and be interviewed by newspapers and TV stations, especially in the context of this opioid abuse epidemic, because by and large, there's two separate populations. It's The pain patients in general tend to use these drugs very responsibly. In fact, if anything, they under-medicate themselves. Uh They tend not to keep increasing their doses. They don't generally misuse the drugs. Um, And they are now being denied access to the drugs as much as they may need because of the opposite problem. There are two colliding epidemics. The drug abuse is one, but the pain epidemic is the other. And one is kind of being sacrificed to the other.
0: Right. And the sacrificial lamb, if you will, is the person who has pain today because the FDA and the government is is at the other end of the spectrum and wanting to reduce the supply of pain-relieving opioids. With respect to physician education, I I can say that when I was in medical school, I received no education whatsoever on pain.
2: I I think there are ways we could beef up medical education, though. And Mm -hmm. one way that has been suggested is by having the exams that uh, doctors who are graduating or young doctors graduating from medical school and at various stages in their careers take um, having more questions about pain on those exams and if medical schools start finding that their students are flunking these exams Um, then they will start teaching pain. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of a, you know, that's the stick, not the carrot, but um, it may take that.
0: It may, I agree, as well as integrating pain education into the medical school curriculum. This show has been insightful and eye-opening, so we're going to continue our discussion next time on pain, America's biggest health problem. Judy Foreman, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains.
1: Thank you, I enjoyed it too. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.